good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us online. Uh, if you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter there, be sure to like us, to follow us, to subscribe there on YouTube, retweet it on Twitter. Uh, that'll just help to get the word out to others uh, about the services. another way to invite people, and you can even do that from here. Uh, let me also welcome those who are on our phone live streaming. If you need that number uh, for any reason, just give me a call here at the church office, or you can ask me here if you're in person, and I'll be glad to give that number to you. Uh, it's like our internet is, but listening to on the audio on phone line, it'll call you automatically when we go live so uh, that service is there and thank you for those who do join us uh, on that platform uh, if you're at home be sure to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com it's under the info tab there you can get our bulletins our bulletins are in the windowsills as well as at the doors uh, and then also our children's worship bulletins are under that info tab uh, you can download them you can print them you can send the link to anybody you want to so just a great resource to outreach even uh, to people if you need a paper version they're in this windowsill uh, to my right over here and then don't forget you also have under that info tab the prayer list for this week so be sure to download that and to be praying for the individuals uh, on our prayer list and while you're there on the church website go to the far right hand side click the give online tab there real simple platform uh, for you to do your online giving anybody can do that even in person if you want to do it in person with your envelopes those are in the pews in front of you or in the uh, holder on the wall uh, back there and you can put that in the offering plate uh, but just go to the far right hand side click that give online tab and an easy platform there that you can do your one-time gift you can do recurring gift however you need to do that so just wanted to make you aware of those things uh, we've got a lot of things upcoming so be sure to get that uh, bulletin downloaded the newsletter will be going out soon I know Amy's about ready for our newsletter articles and so uh, that'll be coming soon too and you'll be it will be into March and then into Easter so brother Mike if you'll come and lead us in our hymn That's why Pat was playing when she was playing, getting started. No, not one. Very good. Take your hymnals tonight and turn to 182. Let's all sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Miss Pat? Yes. Yeah. 
Thank you, Mike. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11 and verse 33 through verse 35. We read these verses this morning, but I wanted us to go back and look at those verses uh, because this was not the focus of our message uh, this morning. This morning was the graveyard miracle, uh, the miracle especially of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Uh, and that was the theme and what we looked at in the overall part. Uh, here of John chapter 11. But in John 11, verse 33 down through verse 35, I wanted us to see also Jesus' sorrow and how we also sorrow ourselves over things and how can we overcome the sorrow in our own hearts. Uh, as we talked about this morning, uh, this was a difficult situation for them uh, in the midst of losing uh, a precious loved one, uh, losing their brother, Mary and Martha, uh, and they were struggling with that, and I know they were sorrowful in their hearts uh, at the loss they were experiencing, and many times that comes out in so many other ways. And so how can we overcome that sorrow? And that's what we want to look at through these verses tonight and then many other verses throughout uh, the Bible. We're going to be going to 2 Corinthians uh, also in just a little bit too. So John chapter 11, verse 33 through verse 35. Let's go ahead and stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray from tonight's message as we examine your word about sorrow and about our, our weeping and the things that trouble our hearts so often. Father, I pray that you'll give us some direction, some application from this passage and other scriptures uh, that will help us, Lord, to overcome sorrow so that it doesn't become within us a root of bitterness or, or anger uh, or frustration there. Uh, Father, I pray that it'll become a blessing to us, even in the midst of our sorrow and the things we go through. So bless your word tonight. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us. May we hear your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And I just pray that you'll anoint your word tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So on the eastern slope of the mountain in the village of Bethany, uh, we find that Jesus wept. Uh, over our sorrows. When you read a little bit further, as we're going to get to when we get to Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to find that Jesus is on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, looking towards Jerusalem, looking over the city of Jerusalem, after the triumphal entry, and he weeps over our sins there. Uh, when you look at Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, the Bible says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. So this isn't the first time when he's at Lazarus's uh, funeral here that he weeps, but uh, we know several times that he weeps in the scripture, uh, especially these two occasions that we're giving are the more prominent. Uh, 
Uh, but, you know, life is filled with sorrows. Uh, it was filled with sorrows for Jesus. It's filled with sorrows for us. So none of us are exempt from going through trials and troubles and tribulations that will bring sorrow into our life. As we said this morning, just because you become a believer, just because you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior doesn't mean your life is going to be a bed of roses without any thorns. There are going to be those difficult times in life because life is filled with sorrows and the Bible talks about sorrows. I want to read some verses to you, you'll see them on the screen, uh, that come from various places in the Scripture that talk about sorrow. Psalm 18, verse 4, 5, and verse 6 says, The cords of death, and many times you'll see in some translation the word cords there is translated sorrows. So the sorrows, the cords or sorrows of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. Verse 5. The cords or the sorrows of Sheol or, or hell entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Verse 6, in my distress I called upon the Lord, to, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 32 verse 10 says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So we know that if you're living ungodly, if you're not a part of the family of God, you never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the Bible says many are the sorrows of the wicked. And so what he says there about the steadfast love surrounding the one who trusts in the Lord doesn't mean you live in some kind of bubble that you're not going to experience sorrows as a believer. Uh, he's just saying here, uh, contrasting the two in comparison between the two, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Uh, we see in Psalm 38 and verse 17 that the Bible says, For I am ready to fall, and my pain or my sorrow is ever before me. Proverbs 15 verse 13 says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 18, uh, written by Solomon, one of the greatest, the greatest wise men that ever lived. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. It's like the more you know and the more you begin to realize about the world that we live in and the sinful world that it is, the more it brings sorrow to your heart. Uh, the last days in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8, are called the beginning of sorrows. Uh, there are two kinds of sorrows listed in the Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 it says, For godly grief or sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation uh, without regret, whereas worldly sorrow or grief produces death. And so uh, there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. And one leads to salvation and the other leads to eternal death. It, it tells us in the Bible that money can bring sorrow. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains or sorrows. And so uh, Paul himself says that death can cause us to have sorrow upon sorrow in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 27. Sorrow is all around us. 
And, and yet, even here in our own society, in our own world, uh, in our own nation, we have raised up a couple of generations in our Western world uh, who seem to not have sorrow uh, over things. And, and we've raised up generations who, who've lost their tears and their brokenness. You know, our, our culture has taught us that it's inappropriate to cry, especially for guys. Uh, real men don't cry. You've heard that saying before. Uh, but one of the major problems facing our culture is that we have lost our tears. Ophthalmologists say that crying is a part of an important release uh, valve in many people. Uh, it, it releases uh, the oils and the things in your eyes there to keep your eyes flush, to keep it uh, going. And so if you've not cried, uh, you need to cry some. That just physiologically helps us. Uh, but also it's a release emotionally. Uh, and, and spiritually, uh, it, it, it releases a chemical that helps to relieve stress. And that's why we often feel better after we cry. Tears have that kind of medicinal effect. Uh, sweat pours out of the body on a hot day uh, to keep the body cool. And tears flow to release the stress of the soul like the sweat of a body. And so it's something natural that we've been created to do and a response to, to things that make us sorrowful. As Jesus was standing at Lazarus' tomb, what he was doing there in crying when he saw Mary and he was there at the tomb is he was saying, it's okay for us to cry. In fact, God gives us tears, as we saw just a moment ago. When we think about it, there's no other animal species that cries uh, with emotional tears. Now, dogs don't cry, turtles don't cry, cats don't cry with emotional tears. But we do cry. Tears are the gift of God. And Jesus is telling us it's okay for us to cry. He did himself. And that's why David said in, in Psalm uh, chapter 30 and verse 5, he said, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And so it, David had already told us it was okay to cry. You're going to cry. But after that comes a sweet release in your heart and in your soul. Jesus himself wept. Think about that. The God of this universe in human flesh wept. Others haven't cried in years. Still others have lost their tears. But not Jesus. Jesus wept. We see that there's the two times here that he weeps when he's there at Lazarus' tomb and then on the Mount of Olives because he is touched by our broken hearts. And so we notice some things about Jesus in his weeping that help us to understand sorrow a little bit better. Jesus wept over our sorrow. That's what we see in verse 33 down through verse 35. Jesus is touched by our broken hearts. The event here was this funeral at Bethany that we saw and looked at this morning of his dear friend Lazarus. And he wept when he saw Mary crying. Now remember, he had already talked to Martha. And we don't read anything about him crying when Martha came. But when he sees Mary who's crying and all of her tears and those who have come with her, Mary's heart was broken. Her brother was dead. Jesus was too late. And she held to no hope. She was hurting. And Jesus arrives on the scene there and sees her weeping, sees the crowd with her weeping. And John uses an interesting word in the Greek, as we said this morning, to describe Mary's weeping. It's the word kleo. 
uh, which means deep sobs or deep wails. Uh, Mary was, was pouring out her soul. She was wailing in her crying. Jesus had come from a place where there was no sin, there was no sorrow in heaven, no tears, uh, no tombs, no hurts, uh, no heartaches. And he walks into this scene and he sees her crying with these deep, loud sobs. And it's not a fake cry. It's genuine in her heart. When he saw Mary crying in such a fashion, two things happened. The Bible says he was deeply moved. He was moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. That deeply moved also means groaned within, him, within himself. As Jesus stood at the tomb there of his friend, he, he was upset at what sin had done and resulting in death and, and sorrow and in his restraint. He, he groans and was troubled. And, and the text tells us that what really got to him the most was Mary's tears and, and the cause behind her heartbreak, that is sin and death that brought pain to her and, and still did. John simply writes, Jesus wept. Mary was upset. Jesus knew that better than anybody else. What would he do? Would he give her a lecture? Oh, Mary, don't worry, don't cry, so it's going to be okay. Should he rebuke her? Or should he try to encourage her? Nope, she wept and he wept. And Jesus is still weeping over our sorrows because he is touched by our broken hearts. Notice the tense of the verb tells us that he could not hold it in. This was a spontaneous expression of love. In fact, the Old Testament tells us uh, that he would be, that the Messiah would be. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So he himself knew what Mary was going through and, and all that flood of emotion from her begins to affect him and he begins to shed tears. Isaiah 53 verse 4 tells us that Jesus is not a spectator to our heartaches. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I'll tell you, that's an encouraging verse to know there, that when you're in the deepest sorrow of your heart, to know that Jesus carries your sorrow. He understands what you're going through. The Apostle Paul himself reminded those at the church at Ephesus that he had been, as Acts 20 verse 19 said, that he had been serving the Lord with all humility, with tears. And to the Corinthians, he said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. In the early days of the Salvation Army, it was a great missionary force in England. A young man assigned to a particular city wrote back to the headquarters with a telegram which said, Have tried everything, ready to quit. General William Booth, who was the head of the Salvation Army then uh, and who started it, wired back to him with two words, try tears. Try brokenness is what he's saying. Try sorrow. It, tears ought to move us 
to the heart of God because our tears move the very heart of God. Jesus still weeps over our sorrows. He's touched by our broken hearts. Uh, Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 that there is a time to weep. In other words, there is a time for tears. If you need God's attention, try tears. The psalmist said that, that, ask God in Psalm 56 and verse 8, put my tears in your bottle. Not one of our tears that falls goes unnoticed nor forgotten by God. Understand that tears can speak louder than words. Tears have a, a language all of their own. They don't need an interpreter. Any of us who have, who have raised children know that to be true. Any of us who have held our husband or our wife in a time of tears knows that to be true. So, so nothing moves the heart of God like our tears. In the Old Testament even, when you go and you back and you read the story of King Hezekiah, uh, King Hezekiah was about to die. He was a told, told to get his house in order, and, and he prayed, and he wept. And here's what God said in response in 2 Kings 20 and verse 5. He said, I have heard your prayers. Now, that's good. We know God hears our prayers. But notice what else he says. I have seen your tears. You know, most of the time, if we shed tears, it's in the privacy of our home or in the privacy of some place that we don't want others to see us uh, crying, to see us all emotional. But God sees and God knows even when you think nobody else may. And, and so tears touch the heart of God. And Jesus is still weeping over our sorrows, touched by our broken hearts. And so the same Lord Jesus who saw Mary's tears and wept with her, understand this, he stands by your side today too. He's saying to us across the centuries, it's okay to cry. Secondly, I want you to see that Jesus wept over our sins. Not only over our sorrow, but also over our sin. When you turn over to Luke 19 and verse 41, Jesus is troubled by our blinded eyes. So this is that other passage that we talk about that Jesus wept. So he wept here at Lazarus' funeral. And we're going to get to this passage in a few weeks when we get closer to Palm Sunday. Uh, so this is after the triumphal entry. But Luke 19 verse 41, uh, we find there, here's Jesus a few days after he's experienced this experience of Lazarus dying in Bethany and raising him from the dead and him weeping there uh, on the eastern slope of, of Mount Olives, uh, the Mount of Olives, Jesus finds himself on the back of a donkey making a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. I mean, think about the scene. It's filled with excitement. Uh, the crowds are cheering. They're waving those palm fronds and their, the branches in their hands. They're placing their, their cloaks down before Jesus as he's coming in uh, to the city there of Jerusalem. Most think about the parade. They think about the, pe the pep rally. But think about it. All of that was just a sham. And Jesus knew it. Because Jesus knew that within five days, all that would be gone. And those cheers would turn into jeers. Can you picture him? He's the center of attention. You would think he's got a smile on his face. He's riding on the back of a donkey like riding in a parade. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's waving. Everybody's shouting Hosanna. But look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept 
over it. What a picture. I mean, see Jesus. He's the object of their adoration, but yet he's weeping. And hear him through his tears as he goes on to say in verse 42, saying, what would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know that I was the Messiah who came. You rejected the Messiah. Because think about it, the Jerusalem crowds, they wanted a general. They wanted a, a George Washington to, to come in and ride into town and put down the Roman opposition. And so when they didn't get what they wanted, their cheers turned into to jeers that were saying, crucify him. Less than a week later, after they had crowned him king, they took and crowned him with thorns. And they stripped him naked and they beat him upon his back and he was beaten to a bloody pulp. And then they asked, are you the king of the Jews? What a joke, they thought. And they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. He was a king all right, but his kingdom was not of this world. His was a kingdom of our hearts. And so there is Jesus on that Mount of Olives. And the Bible says he looked out over that city and he wept. These were different tears. Different tears than the ones we read about in Bethany just a few days before. In Bethany, the Greek word to describe Jesus' weeping was dakrua. It's the only time we find that verb used in the New Testament. It means to shed tears in such a fashion that it's almost like you're weeping silently. So when he saw Mary... It begins to break his heart. Tears begin to flow, but it's kind of a, a, a quiet crying. But when it's Palm Sunday, and we're told that he wept, the Greek word there is the word klao. It's the same word that had been used of Mary when she had been crying in John chapter 11, verse 33, that loud crying. It's also the same word that's used to describe Simon Peter when he wept bitterly after the rooster crowed and reminded him of his denials. It's that same word. So you look at Jesus here on Palm Sunday. The people are cheering. They're waving their palm branches. And he breaks down and he begins crying with these loud sobs that could be heard blocks away. He's weeping over the city's sin. He's troubled by their blinded eyes. And he's still weeping today over the sinfulness around us and the blinded eyes of so many. He's still saying, Luke 13, verse 34, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as, hen, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. What a picture of our world today even. 
The church today doesn't seem to be even weeping over the sins of people. We don't seem to be troubled by blinded eyes. We're watching the decay of a civilization even before us. If we viewed our cities the way Jesus viewed the city of Jerusalem, we would see them through our tears. The problem with us today is we've lost our tears. Are we like some of them? Shouting and supporting and waving our palm branches as long as we get what we want. But I want you to see all that sorrow and all that suffering. How do you overcome all that? How do you overcome our sorrow and our suffering? If you don't know it, I like Star Wars. <laughs> and there's a saying in Star Wars, fear is the path to the dark side. And that's true even in life because fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And all of that leads to sorrow. There's perhaps no greater challenge to our faith than the presence of sorrow and suffering in this world. In fact, that is the question that gets asked by so many. Why is there pain? Why is there sorrow and suffering in this world? That question has plagued humanity since our very first thoughts about God. Even the earliest stories of, of, of divine beings wrestling with the idea of, of sorrow and suffering are there. In the ancient Near East, uh, three to 4,000-year-old Mesopotamian and Akkadian stories provide explanations of why bad things happen in the world. Simply put, they say there's good gods and there's bad gods. Good gods do good things in our world. Bad gods do, are responsible for bad things. In Eastern theology, particularly in Confucianism, this idea is incorporated into the yin and the yang. Uh, that just as life represents uh, us with polar opposites uh, that are interconnected, think light and dark, hot and cold, so too do we experience good and bad. However, that says nothing about why things happen. Just that good things happen and bad things happen. George Varna did a survey many years ago that asked this question. If you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you the answer, what would you ask? And by far and away, the number one response was this, why is there sorrow or pain and suffering in this world? That very question assumes that a loving God and sorrow and suffering cannot go together. You ever wondered and asked, God, where are you? I mean, we looked at that in this morning's message and saw Mary and Martha uh, who were wondering, Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? Our brother wouldn't have died if you had come sooner. Where were you? Where are you? And we still ask that same question sometimes of God. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Well, there are three basic problems that are common to every one of us everywhere at some time in this life. They are sickness, sorrow, and suffering. Every single one of us will experience those three. Now, you might temporarily escape one or even two of those, but you'll never escape all three of those. Even the most godly of people are not exempt from sorrow and suffering. One of the greatest Christians of all, the Apostle Paul, knew what it was like to have problems, to have sorrow, to have suffering. In fact, Paul closes his second letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 by telling how he had been, how he had been whipped, how he had been shipwrecked, how he 
he had been robbed and mugged and betrayed and jailed and left for dead. And his heart was filled with hurt and heartache and hardships. And, and, and here he mentions a problem that was so difficult, so painful, so debilitating, that even with his great faith, he found himself even asking the question, where is God when it hurts? Paul's talking about his own personal suffering, his own personal sorrow. He's hurting, and that pain and the suffering was so bad that he kept it a secret for 14 years. Nobody ever knew about his problem until you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This was pain uh, that had left him, that had not left him for 14 years. It was a sorrow and a suffering. It wasn't a pain that he had known every now and then, or, or a day here or a week there. For 14 years, he tells us, he had known this terrible, horrible suffering. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that Paul hurt, and he hurt badly. And it was through his sorrow, through his pain, through his hurt and his suffering that God taught him some of the greatest lessons of his ministry and of his life that can help us to overcome our sorrow and our suffering. This is the first thing you see on the screen there. God stands with us in our sorrow and suffering. God stands with us in our sorrow and our suffering. That's one of the foundational truths from the Word of God that we need to understand. Because in the first several verses of chapter 12, Paul speaks about this unbelievable experience God had given him. God had allowed him to see things that nobody else had ever seen. He had taken him to heights that no other person had ever scaled. He was having a great spiritual experience. And on the heels of that great experience, God did something else. Look at verse 7. He said, in verse 7 of chapter 12, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, of all the mountaintop experience I've had in understanding God's Word and what He's shared with me, the revelations from God, he says, A thorn was given me in the flesh... A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now that word, that phrase, thorn in the flesh, is one of the most famous phrases in all the Bible. We get the expression, a thorn in my side, from that expression. Uh, there had been a great debate over just what this thorn was. Some say it was maybe poor eyesight. Others say maybe it was a speech impediment. Some say it was a physical handicap. The fact of the matter is we don't know what this thorn was because we're never specifically told by, by Paul. And I believe purposely God left that uh, identity of his thorn a secret because if, if this problem had been his poor eyesight, then many people would look at this passage in this verse and say, well, that doesn't help me because I don't have poor eyesight. If it was their hearing, if your hearing was fine, you'd say, well, that doesn't apply to me. So whatever it would have been. And so if it had probably been his speech impediment, then that wouldn't have been a comfort to those who don't have a speech impediment. Even if it had been some physical handicap, most people today aren't physically handicapped. And so this thorn remains anonymous because no matter what your particular thorn might be, the same God that gave Paul victory over his thorn can give you victory over yours. We don't have to debate why this thorn had come to Paul's life. He tells us twice 
that it was to keep him from being conceited. It was to keep him from being puffed up, uh, from getting proud. Think about that. You ever noticed when everything is going great in life, it's sometimes very difficult to stay close to God. In fact, there's a tendency when things are going great in your life to drift away from the Lord. It's when things are bad that we come back to the Lord. If you don't believe that, all you got to do is look at the tragedies that happened in our history. Uh, you can see back to 9-11. Uh, when 9-11 happened, people began to flood into the churches because of the bad things that were happening. Uh, and they were seeking answers. They were seeking hope in the midst of the despair that they were going through. And so things weren't going great then. When the economy collapses, people are seeking uh, some answers and some hope. Uh, when, when, when people lose a loved one, many times they're searching and wondering, uh, what's the answers? Why did this have to happen? And, and wanting to know, is there any hope for them? So when, when you notice that, when things are going great in your life, it's sometimes difficult to stay close to God. Uh, we tend to think things are going great and because you're, you're, you think you're so great that God is so good to you because you're so good to Him. God, who is a very wise, patient, and loving Heavenly Father, does something for us that we think is to hurt us sometimes when we're getting that pride, that pride in our hearts. But it's really there to help us. Understand this, that God always balances blessings with burdens. First of all, God does give us his blessings. He puts blessings right into our hand every single day. And we need to not miss that, and we need to be appreciative of every blessing that he gives to us. But notice this, he fills our hands with blessings, but he also puts burdens on our back. Understand why God does that. If all God did was to fill your hands with blessings, the weight would begin to tip you so far forward. If you had burdens always on you but no blessings, you'd fall backwards. But he always balances that. He perfectly balances the blessings and the burdens so that we don't become overbalanced and fall over in either direction. We know that God stands with us in our sorrow, that he stands with us in our suffering because that's exactly what he did with his own son, Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Jesus gave more blessings to this world in three years than any other human being has ever done in a lifetime. And yet he also, in giving blessings, he also bore the burden for our sins. And all you have to do is to look to the cross and to know that not only does God suffer for us, God suffers with us. So when you come to that time in your life, when you're in the middle of a sickness, when you're in the middle of sorrow and suffering, just look at the cross and remember that God stands with you in your sorrow and in your suffering. Remember also that God not only stands with us in our sorrow and suffering, but also God speaks to us through our sorrow and suffering. How did Paul respond to his suffering? Well, as you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 8, notice what he did. Three times he said, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So think about that. He goes to the right source. He asks God. He doesn't go to somebody else. He doesn't try to fix it himself. He goes to the Lord three times and pleads with the Lord about it, that it should leave him. You ever ask God to, to, to do something in your life to, to heal you of some sickness or relieve you of some sorrow or to remove your suffering, and he didn't do it? 
Well, three times Paul didn't just pray. He's pleading. He's begging God to remove this thorn. But God didn't do it. There was nothing wrong with the prayer. There was nothing wrong with God. It wasn't that God didn't hear Paul's prayer. And it wasn't that God didn't care. Paul got an answer to his prayer. It just wasn't the answer he wanted. It was the answer he needed. Don't miss the next five words in verse 9. But he said to me. Right in the middle of his praying, right in the middle of his pleading, right in the middle of his hurting and his suffering and his sorrow, God spoke to Paul. And here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. That is such a powerful, powerful verse. I'd encourage you to memorize it. Notice what Paul didn't, that Paul didn't get the answer he was looking for until he quit praying and he started listening. Sometimes in our prayers, we're too busy telling God what we want him to do. We're telling God, this is what I want you to do. And we're listing out all these things, and, and we're not listening to God. We can't hear God telling us what he wants to do in us. So if you have a problem in your life, and you've asked God to take it away, and he hasn't, maybe it's time for you to quit talking and to start listening, listening spiritually. It was in the middle of Paul's suffering and sorrow that God taught Paul some things that he would have never learned any other way. And you're going to find out that you'll learn a lot more about God and you'll learn a lot more from God in the valley times than you do when you're on the mountaintop. God can speak a lot more loudly sometimes in the bad times than he can in the good times because sometimes in the bad times... We just don't know what else to say. We're just burdened down with our sorrow. We're just weeping before him. And all we can do is listen. One of the things that suffering and sorrow do is to remind us of just how frail we are. It reminds us of just how dependent upon God we really are. And it forces us to focus on God. C.S. Lewis uh, the great theologian, he called suffering and sorrow God's megaphone. He said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So understand, God's answer to grief is grace. My grace is sufficient for your need. More than anything else in this world, God wants you to experience His grace more strongly than in pain and sorrow and suffering. In fact, remember this, there is no grace without suffering. There is no grace without sorrow. And there is no grace apart from suffering. Every time you're suffering, every time you're in sorrow, if you'll listen, God will be telling you, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Just trust me. Depend upon me. Here's the third thing that can help you to overcome your sorrows and your suffering. Is to know that God strengthens us by our sorrow and suffering. Those three truths will transform your life when it comes to your sorrow and your suffering. God strengthens us by our sorrow and suffering. Everybody's going to experience sickness or sorrow or suffering. We've already uh, made that point. There's no such thing as a pain-free life. The issue is not, is something going to happen to me, but when is something going to happen to me? What determines victory or defeat is how you're affected by the sorrow or, or the suffering. If it leads to, to, to resistance or it leads to resentment, if it leads to bitterness, then, then you'll lose out to depression and despair. But if it leads you to prayerfulness, if it leads you to patience, if it leads you to faith and to trust, then it can lead you to maturity and to victory. Notice verse 7 down through verse 10 again. Verse 7 says, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Or sorry, verse 7, and I was in chapter 13 there. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of uh, the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice how Paul turns 180 degrees. Before God spoke, all Paul wanted and all Paul asked for three times was to get rid of his problem. But after God spoke, he wouldn't take the world for it. I could tell you some other things that could help you with your sorrow and suffering, like show forgiveness, grace and mercy like Jesus did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I can tell you to emphasize, empathize with others. As Jesus said uh, to the man who was the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. I, I could share with you to, to focus on the needs of others because that gets the focus off of you. And, and you know, like when Jesus saw his mother from the cross and his disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. I could tell you to take your questions to God because that's what Paul did. Three times he went to God. In fact, Jesus himself did on the cross in Matthew 27 and verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he took upon himself the burden of our sin and the father turned his back on the son in, his, in taking that sin upon himself for us. I could tell you to admit your need and to humbly ask for help. 
Jesus, when he was on the cross after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. He asked for help. I could tell you to look for purpose in your sorrow. Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 30, when Jesus had received uh, the vinegar there, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. There was purpose in his sorrow. You can surrender your sorrow to God. Because when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. I can tell you to fill your mind with God's Word, where the Bible tells us in Romans 12 and verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I can tell you to surround yourself with godly friends. Jesus, you remember, had taken his three closest friends with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he just asked them to just be with him while he went to pray. Now, their example was lacking because they fell asleep. But surround yourself with godly friends. I can tell you to have courage and to have hope because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 that one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or sorrow nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All those things are good. But the greatest help that you could have to overcome your sorrow and your suffering is to remember that God not only stands with us in our sorrow and our suffering, but also that God speaks to us if we would just be quiet and listen through our sorrow. And God strengthens us by our sorrow and our suffering. Think about it. God took the greatest pain, the greatest sorrow, the greatest suffering in the history of mankind on a cross 2,000 years ago and turned it into salvation for all who would believe. In fact, Jesus himself endured suffering and sorrow, the suffering and sorrow of all so that we wouldn't have to endure the eternal pain, the suffering of an eternity apart from God. On a wall in his bedroom, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, had a plaque with this part of Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10 on it. <clears throat> it says this, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. It, he said, it's no mean thing to be chosen of God. He wrote that. He said, God's choice makes chosen men choice people. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, he said, beauty is marred. Fashion is destroyed. Strength is melted. Glory is consumed. And yet here, eternal love, he says, reveals its secrets and declares its choice. There's a story about a man who lost his job, a sizable fortune, and his beautiful home. To add to his sorrow, his precious wife had died, and yet he tenaciously held to his faith, the only thing he had left. And one day, when he was out walking in search of a, job, a new job, he stopped to watch some men who were doing some stonework on a large church, and one of them was chiseling this triangular piece of rock. And he asked him, he said, where are you going to put that at? And the workman said, do you see that little opening up there near the spire? 
He said, well, I'm shaping this stone down here so that it will fit in up there. Tears began to fill that man's eyes as he walked away because the Lord had spoken to him through that labor whose words gave new meaning to his troubled situation. Isn't that what God is doing? God is shaping us down here so we'll fit in up there. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to fear pain. You no longer have to fear suffering or sorrow in this life because he's shaping us down here for the life to come. He stands with us in our sorrow and suffering. He speaks to us through our sorrow and our suffering, but ultimately he strengthens us by our sorrow and our suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often we have prayed, Lord, take this problem from me. Take this trouble that I'm going through from me. And yet, for whatever reason, you've chosen not to. Now, Lord, I pray that we would examine our hearts to make sure that we are where we need to be in our relationship with you, that we are living right before you to the best of our abilities and the power of the Holy Spirit. But Father, to understand that if we are doing those things and yet the problem is still there and you've not removed it, there's a purpose and there's a reason why we're having the sorrow, why we're going through the suffering. And so Father, I pray tonight that we will just trust you and know that you're standing with us to know, Lord, that you are walking with us, that you hear us, Lord, that you haven't forgotten about us. And, Lord, that you will see us through to the very end. Father, help us to see the purpose in what you're doing. And even if we don't ever see the purpose here on this side of glory, Lord, I pray that we'll trust you through to the very end, knowing that you're going to use it to bring about good for us and glory for you. Because that's the promise of your word, that you work all things for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called, according to your purpose. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we will surrender all of that to you. And, Father, I pray that you'll help us to live in the victory, even in the midst of the sorrow and the suffering. Bless us tonight. Lord, I pray that if there's someone who's here or someone who's watching online who's never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, may they just simply call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if someone's prayed something like that in their heart and they sincerely meant it, Lord, I pray that they would just comment there in the comments online and let us know that. If they're here in person, they would come during this invitation, Lord, to publicly profess that faith in Christ so that we can walk alongside them and disciple them. Lord, maybe there are other decisions. Maybe we're here as a believer tonight, and we've been living in the midst of that sorrow in our hearts, and we've not understood how can I overcome sorrow. Lord, help us to realize we can only overcome sorrow through your presence, through your power, through your glory and your majesty in our lives. Help us, Lord, to walk with you and help us to overcome that sorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 316, will you make your way and come as the Lord leads on your heart? Or if you're online there to comment in the comments. Brother Mike, if you'll come. Would you stand, please?
Jesus is calling the weary to rest, calling today, calling today. Bring him thy burdens and thou shalt be blessed. He will not turn thee Thank you so much for joining with us, especially those online. Uh, we'll be back in person Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Still not sure exactly where we're going with what book or what study we'll be in, uh, so I'll get that to you as soon as I can, Mike. Uh, but we do want you to come and join us. Uh, you'll receive a wonderful blessing either way. Six o'clock, if you want to bring, if you have kids and want to bring them for Awana, Awana starts at 5.30, so be sure to be here before that as we have some food uh, back in the fellowship hall for the adults uh, at five o'clock there. So uh, come and join us for those things. We'll see you this Wednesday, six o'clock. You have a blessed week.